Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network, a station dedicated to the concept that all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Join Reverend Terry Power HP, Robin McKean, and all the hosts for programming covering a wide range of spiritual topics, right here on Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Pride of Olympus. I'm Hercules Invictus, and I'm honored to announce our first segment. Nick Curto presents the Urantia book with host Nick Curto. Today, his guest is Carol Cannon. Greetings and welcome, Mr. Curto. Hello, Nick. Oh, wouldn't that be something if Nick isn't on? Oh, dear. I see his telephone number, uh, but he might be having a difficult uh, connection. Uh, We can talk until Nick uh, joins us. Uh, Nick, if you're there and uh, can't uh, connect, please try calling again. And if not, I'll try calling you through the board. So, Carol, uh, tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, I am a longtime friend of Nick Curdo, I'm grateful to say. I was very excited when he asked me to speak with him on your show about the Urantia book, which has had a major impact on my life. Um, When Nick gets on, he's probably going to start asking questions about where I came from and whatnot. I I grew up in Connecticut. He will. He he might be back. Let's see if uh, we have him. Okay. Hello. Hello, my friend. Hi, Nick. How are you doing? Good. I don't know what happened. I was uh, I was locked in and I was listening to the intro music and I heard you say uh, greeting to me and then I heard that you couldn't hear me. So I don't know what happened, but I'm glad I'm here. Well, I'm glad you're here too. Um, Carol, thank you for uh, starting uh, the journey with me. I now live you in Nick's uh, capable hands. He's an awesome individual, as you know. And uh, before you proceed, I just wanted to let you know that my dog, uh, Sophia, she'll be keeping me company today because if she doesn't, she'll be yowling for hours. So she might occasionally bark or talk, but she'll be she's mostly quiet. Well, we always need the company of somebody wise. So Sophia is a good company for us all. Absolutely. Uh, I would I would enjoy hearing a bark once in a while. It would either be me, Carol or the dog. 
<laughs> Very cool. Uh, I give you the scepter of Zeus, uh, and uh, the show is yours. Uh, thank you so much, Hercules. Um, again, this is a live podcast for about 45 minutes. Uh, briefly about me, I was born and raised in New England, uh, Springfield, Massachusetts, to be precise. I graduated from the Massachusetts College of Art and Design in Boston, was president of the Newman Club and the Drama Club, and then after graduation headed directly to New York City to begin my advertising design career and also, and very importantly, to continue to explore my ongoing spiritual search for truth and other big questions about life that we all have and want answered. Now, I first heard of the Arantia book while attending for two years the All Souls Unitarian Church in Manhattan and quickly found a wonderful study group in Soho hosted by my very dear friends Robin and Helene Jorgensen and have been studying the book now for about 35 years. It uh, doesn't seem possible it's been that long, but it has. Um, it has been an expansive, breathtaking experience to explore this awesome, wonderful, and truly loving book. The, world, the word Urantia, and that's spelled U-R-A-N-T-I-A, means Our Planet Earth, and it was published in 1955. I'm a longtime member of the Urantia Society of Greater New York, made up of Urantia book readers from New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut. And I've been their past president and outreach chair. I now host my own Urantia book study group in Manhattan in the West Village, and that is sponsored by the Urantia Society of Greater New York. And that meets the first and third Sundays of each month throughout the year from 1 to 2 o'clock at the uh, Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Transgender Questioning Center. That's a long title. It's located at 208 West 13th Street. Um, the study group uh, is free of charge and open to all. And we read passages uh, each, uh, every two weeks from the Urantia book and then stop to discuss what it's saying and go through it uh, thoroughly. And I would venture to say that the people who attend, whether brand new readers or longtime readers, find it a rewarding experience on many, many levels. Again, everyone is welcome to join us. Uh, please let us know that you're coming. Uh, I'm going to give you my email address, and I'll be happy, if you'd like to come, to provide you with the additional details. Uh, my email address is N-I-C-K-N-Y-N-Y, the number one, at gmail.com. The Urantia book has now been translated into 22 world languages, uh, it's sold at better bookstores worldwide, and you can now listen as well as read it on the Internet. Now, that's an excellent way to preview this awesome and truly loving masterwork of a book. There's two websites I'd like to give you also. The first one is www.urantiabook.org. Now, the other one is www.urantia.nyc. They're both amazing websites, and please take a look when you can. Okay, let's get right to it tonight. My featured guest on the program is indeed a very dear friend and a longtime reader of the Rancher book, Carol Cannon. A very warm welcome to you. Thank you, Nick. Thank you, Nick. You know, I got home just a little while ago and wanted to 
sit and meditate and pray this little bit, and I just started feeling such excitement and gratitude to be able to speak to a large audience about the Urantia book. This is such a privilege. Thank you for asking me. Oh, absolutely, Carol. I'm so delighted that you could accept my invitation. And a lot of the listeners, although they're very spiritual, probably have not heard or read uh, much of the book yet. So um, I, I, the whole person, the program is about having people know the people who are reading the book, because I think that's interesting from a, a human interest point of view. And it gives a perspective when I ask questions like, what has the book done to, for your life and that sort of thing, which we'll get to. Um, I know I briefly would like, if I may, to re- tell the listeners a little bit about your background, Carol, if I may. And believe me, this is a, a listener. This is a very abridged version <laughs> of what Carol has been up to in her life. Believe me, it would take a whole program just to do the bio. But uh, Carol Cannon uh, has always been a seeker of uh, being the daughter of two artists. She has been divided uh, 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 to recon- reconcile her spiritual experiences and her artistic ambitions leading to studying and working in New York City for over 40 years. Um, her educational life trends versed three degrees in the arts, several in-depth healing disciplines, and her professional life has careered uh, uh, over countless jobs in the arts. Uh, she is currently the school director at Alpha Workshops Studio School in Chelsea, where all of her spiritual growth, she says, has been tested. We'll have to ask her about that. Uh, in her spare time, she is a, uh, uh, completing right now a, a memoir of a, a book called Years with uh, um, um, Ahmad. How do I say that, Carol? Ahmed. Ahmed. Okay, I, I want to get that right. Uh, a very distinguished Moroccan artist and uh, continues to develop uh, her own fine art, which is absolutely amazing. I went to see a recent show of Carol's, and uh, it was phenomenal. Um, Now, of course, you are one busy gal. I know that. I've known that from the first time I I met you. And I'd like to um, very much to begin the program um, is to ask you right from the beginning where you were born and raised. Well, I was born in White Plains, New York, So I lived the first four years of my life in Tarrytown, New York, which I only have a very few memories of. And then our family moved to Richfield, Connecticut, where I grew up until just after high school. I really was eager to leave. Um, So I had the... I guess the good fortune of living in Connecticut because um, I had access to the woods. Um, But I was eager to leave because of some of the social, I felt, contradictions at the time. And so I I went to Boulder, Colorado, where my brother had gone to school. And after three years of searching about, wound up coming to art school in New York. And that's been, you know, that's, that's practically been, that is over 40 years ago. It doesn't seem possible it's been that long. Now, do, you said family. Do you have many brothers or sisters? I have one older brother and one much younger sister. Um, my bro- older brother lives in, still lives in Boulder, and my younger sister is in Massachusetts in Situate. Ah, okay. And uh, just briefly, if you could tell us, what was your mom and dad like? Were they spiritual at all? Just, just briefly. 
No. Um, in fact, they were quite secular. They were both artists, and they were both, um, you know, fairly well-educated. Um, uh, my mother used to pride herself in being called an atheist, and she she grew to become agnostic. And my oh. father, you know, at 16, I was really going through sort of a crisis of trying to understand my life and life itself, and I asked him, one time when I was driving him up to see a, a grandfather in New Haven, and I asked him, do you believe in God? And he said, well, you know what they say in the war, there's no atheists in foxholes. So that's about, <laughs> that was about the extent of um, the, the amount of faith that was expressed in our family, although there were token efforts to, well, I mean, I did get baptized as an Episcopalian, and I went to Sunday school a few, very few times, but no, we were free to try to figure out <laughs> everything, and boy, did I after that, because, um, you know, there were just so many contradictions and so many things missing in my family life that um, it set me on a path of a lifelong search. Well, I think that you were in good company. I think that we all um, are on that search, and luckily, uh, we are blessed with some answers, and uh uh, if you are blessed with answers like that, it's um, it's 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 absolute gold in your life if you do that. And I, I salute anyone who's in a spiritual search and looking for truth. And uh, it's it's quite a journey. We've all taken it, and we're on it. We're certainly all on it still, and well, we should be. Um, now, you already answered a question about your studies, so I'm gonna I'm gonna jump a little bit to um, any uh, major events and. Uh, briefly in your life, and then when and where did you find the Arantia book? How did that happen, or did it find you? What was that story like? Well, I had um, a very close girlfriend um, from about the time I was 13. She moved to our town from New Jersey, and we both loved horses, and, you know, she became a best friend, and she had an older brother who was two years her senior and he and I would occasionally get into these deep discussions about life and the meaning of life. And he went off to visit an au pair that they had had living with them in their home in Ridgefield. Uh, she was from Sweden. So he went to visit her in Sweden and was gone a few months. And when he came back, he showed me the Urantia book, which he had already read in three months. He found it wow. um, on the coffee table of somebody that – he was visiting in Sweden, and I don't know what motivated him so, but somehow he just dove into it. So when he came back and we were, I think, driving around in my yellow Volkswagen talking about things, he told me about this, and he showed me his copy. I came into Manhattan to the Samuel Weiser bookstore and bought my hardcover copy along with the Concordex, which is like the in at that time was like an index for it. And um, I think I had the book for several months and had, you know, peered into it. And he sort of goaded me, asking, asking me, you know, if I had made much sense of it. And I really hadn't. My first impression was that it was sort of this huge corporate structure of personalities, which just didn't, you know, I couldn't, I hadn't really studied enough to understand where it was leading to. So with mm -hmm. his proddings, I went back and, through the Concordex, I would look up the specific topics that I was really keen to figure out. 
and it was thanks to the concordex of my going back and forth through the pages, the beginning, middle, and end, that I began to figure out sort of the overview of the book, and then I began to realize, oh, my goodness, <laughs> what do we have here? And so then I couldn't put it down. I couldn't stop reading it. I just loved spending time studying it and meditating and praying, and um, it was just, you know, I have journals and journals of doodles and quotes and thoughts and contemplations, and, you know, I really really dove into it <laughs> well I, I know exactly what you're saying and this uh, i can say ditto to that uh, i i liken uh, reading the arantia book like eating potato chips which i happen to love <laughs> that once you start you can't stop because it's so interesting and it propels you to go to the next uh, page the next chapter and boy it, it's it's magnetic and and it's such a vast body of knowledge it's such a masterwork truly of of great literature just on that level let alone the physics the science the history of the planet there's so much there that it's just awesome absolutely awesome and i i totally get what you just said i'm sure a lot of the the rancher book readers that are listening tonight would shake their head and says yep that that happened to me too yes it did now the rancher book as you know carol is over two thousand pages and it looks like a. It did at the time when I bought it. It looked like a legal book. It looked like, oh my goodness, you know, this is huge. <laughs> a little um, off-putting in a sense because it was so huge and, and heavy, as a matter of fact. And then you went ahead and bought the Concordex, which was wonderful that you did that because that really does help uh, too. So I, I really understand what you're saying in that. And when, when you start uh, addressing, did you start addressing any particular issues and see what the Urantia book was saying about those particular interests? Well, yes, at that age of 15, 16, I was really wrestling with, um, you know, a, a slightly earlier, I was, I was quite suicidal because um, just things were not adding up. You know, everything that was going on in the world and that was going on in my family and you know, it just seemed to me if I had any dignity, I would end it because just <laughs> it just didn't make a lot of sense. And so, of course, I, I wanted to understand, you know, if there was an afterlife and, you know, what was ultimately the purpose of, you know, staying alive. And, you know, of course, it lays out such a magnificent explanation and it helps it helped me connect to you know, this, you know, loving spiritual force within myself that um, began to turn everything around. And so I wanted to learn about the afterlife. I wanted to learn about how did our planet get to this, you know, state. Um, You know, I, I don't really remember all the questions I had at the time, but I was fascinated by the description of the Marantia worlds and, you know, the different levels of civilization on different planets and the fact that our planet has, you know, has a, you know, a bright future if we if we get through this tough time and um, the things that uh, we encounter along the journey. So it was just one thing after another. I mean, I had already done so much searching through different philosophies and religions. I was intrigued by the Arantia books uh, explanation of the different cultures and religions and 
that just mm-hmm. deepened my understanding of how they, they all overlap and overlay. And, you know, I, I could just keep going. But, um, you know, I'd have to look back into my journals to really see the specific questions that I was seeking. But certainly the Arantia book provided more than what I was looking for. Well, that's thank you, first of all, for sharing that uh, very personal uh, perspective. And at that young age, you said 15, 16, and to be going through uh, such a time in your young life when you really were looking for answers and uh, even thinking if there aren't any answers, maybe it's time to end it. And that's, oh, my goodness. I think there's a lot of teenagers out there, well, all ages, but especially some of the younger people that um, unfortunately don't find that answer, don't find the Arantia book or other spiritual books that will help them. And um, that's so important. And boy, you just brought up something that uh, you really got me uh, emotionally when you said that. Thank you for sharing that, Carol. I think that uh, people will understand that it did make a difference, uh, a very, very big difference early on in your life. And now you've had it for many, many years. Um, And uh, it does do that. It does answer questions. It does give you a sense of belonging, I think, a sense of a limitless love flow that's happening between uh, us and um, the universal Father, God, whatever your term is, and that that's there, and that you can communicate with with uh, the universal Father, God, whatever you want to ask and say, and and that that's open to you. And that was huge. And when they talk about how vast the super universe the master universe is and that there's seven super universes and we're in a tiny tiny speck of a sector called the milky way in a tiny little planet called earth and then you and then they say but you you have an opened door to talking and 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 getting and getting love from the universal father whoa boy that was that was huge um, it certainly changed my life not that i didn't know it but that put it in print, and I'm very grateful that it did uh, to this day. Absolutely. So, it, it it is it is that it really can give you some magnificent uh, uh, view of of your of who you are, uh, and 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 the others around you, not only on this planet but on other planets and galaxies. And it it really goes into that. I was fascinated. That that is one of my uh, keen interests. Uh, and and as you know, it does address that. Um, uh, that. That was an amazing find for me. And I, I've been reading, I've read that many, many times. I still do that section that talks about uh, a government on another planet and the people, the beings, and, and what it's like there. So um, were there any other sections that especially stood out to you, too? Was there any particular other areas that um, kind of kind of held you? Oh, my, yes. Um, you know, it's in anticipation of speaking with you this evening, I was, you know, browsing through my paperback copy that I keep near my bedside because I love to read it when I have spare time. And, um, you know, I have lots of bookmarks throughout the book. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, right now in my most recent reading, I'm on – page 487 is talking about the constellations. But one of the things, I'll just mention that back in year 2000, when the Arantia Foundation and um, its affiliates created 
the conference on Staten Island, um, I had written this paper because I was one of the speakers, and it was about, um, what was it? It was quantum physics, joy, and the divine will. And so it was, I was trying to put together everything that I had read about the Urantia book in conjunction with everything I'd researched about quantum physics. And it was an argument proving, more or less, that our greatest calling was to be in joy 24-7, that, you know, we were designed both biologically, mentally, and spiritually to be attuned to, you know, this great spiritual source within our earthly life that it wasn't something that we were just to look forward to you know in a you know next afterlife or some far distant future but in fact we had everything or we have everything that we need right now to really be completely awake and alive and in tune with our spirits um and so there are many quotes throughout the book one of them is about the ultimaton. Now, I don't know if you remember that um, there's a section that talks about energy and matter, energy, mind, and matter. And it so, so eloquently describes how the ultimaton is the most fundamental unit of the atom and that it is actually comprised of the same material that is in the center of all creation, which the Urantia book terms as paradise, but it is actually the gravitational center of all time and space and beyond and so i included that in my talk because you know that means that everything that we are made of every cell every fiber of our muscles of our nerves every you know everything is actually pulsing with this initial paradise material and so it's only our mind that is limiting us from feeling and experiencing this, this, this joy or this bliss. I, you know, I have to be careful because I'll just go on and on. <laughs> well, you, you listen, you, you certainly may because what you're saying is, is so beautiful and, and so true. It just rings true. And um, I think you'll agree that the Arantia book uh, gives, uh, motivates you um, uh, like a tenfold to be outreaching others with love and understanding. It just does. Uh, it, it, to, to be kind, uh, to be there for others, especially people who need it the most. And um, it, just, it just has that uh, every other line. You, uh, either it states it or it's implying that we also have a, um, a mission too, and that's to, to reflect the limitless love of God the Father, uh, to reflect that in our lives and, and to help others. And uh, I, I know you, Carol, have, have certainly lived that, and um, that just speaks well not only for you and your life, but also for the Urantia book that, that goes into that in, in such magnificent detail and description. Um, it's, uh, it's such a loving book. Um, is it's there any true. particular... Uh, uh, what should I say, a, a, a sentence or a, some kind of thought there that especially um, rings true to you in a very special way? Is there anything there that you could recall? Uh, I'm sure well, there's I many. Mean, 
Oh, yes. They're un, it's unlimited. I mean, oh, there's hardly a page that doesn't, you know, actually strike awe in me. But I have a little... I have a little post-it here, which was very informative to me. This isn't so necessarily awe-inspiring, but it was very revealing to me because I think in all of my searching, you know, reading about, you know, God, reading about spirit, reading about the Trinity, reading about angels, I never quite understood, okay, so when I pray, who is hearing me? Who's listening? Like, do I really have a direct line to God? I mean, the God, the you know, the supreme creator of all time and space and beyond, or is it a guardian angel that's just nearby? But there's a, a quote on page 66 that is actually the first paragraph that starts, when you deal with the practical affairs of your daily life, you are in the hands of the spirit personalities having origin in the third source and center. Now, for those that aren't familiar with that term, the third source and center, what they mean is, in a sense, the Holy Spirit. That's how that would be translated in our local perspective. You are cooperating with the agencies of the conjoint actor, meaning the Holy Spirit. And so it is. You worship God, pray to and commune with the Son, and work out the details of your earthly sojourn in connection with the intelligences of the infinite spirit operating on your world and throughout your universe. So that helped me understand that, you know, when we're in a worshipful state and just praising and thanking our creator, that that's going to the dead center of all creation. And then when we are in a state of, of um, well, how do they put it? And they say you worship um, and commune with the sun. So when we are feeling the presence of God, that apparently is where we're feeling our local creator, who they call creator son, Michael, who's responsible for our local universe and all of that's within it that has his particular, in a sense, fingerprint or pattern on our local existence. And so that's who we feel the presence of. But then it says we work out the details um, of your earthly sojourn in connection with the intelligence of the infinite spirit, meaning all of these beautiful angelic beings that are here to assist us, our guardian angels, seraphim, cherubim, you know, there's countless personalities that the Arantia book describes, but they're all in service to our enlightenment, to our evolution. And so they are, you know, here to be called upon to help us. And so that breakdown of you know you could say um what i was not perspective but proportion helped mm-hmm. me understand my own spiritual experiences and how to tune in and reach out let me ask you this carol um has there been a time that you can recall when you really felt as though your guardian angel was very much present and helped you uh, overcome something uh, perhaps major or even even dangerous? Has there ever been a time like that in your life? Well, yes. <laughs> one one memory comes to mind, um, and it was, you know, really very tangible. I mean, I've had lots of moments where just my state of mind will change after I've asked, you know, spirit to help me. But in a physical sense, I was being stalked by an ex-husband, and um, he had Whoa. already put me in the he had already put me in the hospital once. And so I knew he wasn't fooling around. And um, I was driving 
um, in my neighborhood in Astoria, uh, away from my building. And for some reason, I look in my rearview mirror. I had this funny feeling to look in my rearview mirror. And sure enough, I saw this other car come out and start to follow me. And I I knew it was some sort of spiritual guidance that was waking me up to be aware. I mean, it wasn't just, I wasn't that, I wasn't raised to be suspicious. It was just, I was somehow signaled to, to look up and recognize. I mean, it was just a feeling I had that, that's who mm-hmm. this was pursuing me. So I was able to take measures to avoid <laughs> further damage. But um, that was one very, very tangible experience. Boy, that, that's uh, quite dramatic, uh, how anyone could ever want to hurt you. Uh, wow, that's, that's so sad that, uh, that he, he was in that state. I remember once I was a child, um, and I was, there was this very, very long um, uh, stone wall that I, I climbed upon, and I was just walking along the top of it, but I didn't realize that the land was falling uh, lower and lower. The, the, uh, I didn't realize that the land was getting uh, farther away from me on the wall. And before you know it, I realized that I was probably a good story or maybe a story and a half high with nothing around me at all. And as, mm-hmm. and as it dawned on me that this is, this is dangerous, I didn't realize this, I, I, I lost my balance. I lost my balance, and I was falling back. And oh. That could have been it. And Carol, I felt something in back of me pushing me back, pushing me back. It was as real as I'm talking to you at this moment. I felt it, uh, and I got my balance back. And, of course, I carefully went back down the wall and learned my lesson never to do that again. But it was one of those moments that I felt that something had interceded on my behalf. It's amazing. Isn't that beautiful? And lucky for all of us. So we know you here and now in this lifetime. (laughs) I'm glad to be here. (laughs) I'm very glad to be here. I'm very glad to be with you. And I'm very happy. You know, uh, uh, my producer, Hercules, is also one of those, to me, an angel, because he's so loving and so giving in his community uh, for everyone. And um, the more I know about him, the more I realize that his whole life is dedicated to uh, to uh, enlightening and helping others. And uh, I'm always honored that uh, he's my producer and dear, dear friend. Um, well, thank Carol, you. Thank I, you, Hercules. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Carol, I got to just, I know the, the, the time is going so quickly. And what I, I wanted to suggest here, too, is that there's, there's a lot of uh, very different sections of Carol Cannon um, that we haven't had uh, the time to really go into. I really want to discuss the inspiration of you as an artist and how you're expressing it uh, earlier uh, and now, uh, now, like what's going on with your, I, I've seen a recent uh, art exhibit of yours and was quite taken by it. And I, I want to discuss that area uh, of your, of your life. Uh, 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 Carol does amazingly beautiful murals too, uh, that I've seen photographs of her work and they are, they are absolutely beautiful, beautifully done. And also, well, that is, no, that is, you certainly earned that praise. And also uh, your, your uh, amazing uh, studying of, of healing techniques and how you've incorporated that as another uh, faucet of your life. 
you're a busy gal. (laughs) I know, I know. It's kind of bizarre because I never really acknowledged it, but now that I'm getting at a ripe old age, I'm looking back, I say, my goodness, I have have traversed quite a bit of territory. You, you certainly have, and and some very uh, important areas at that. And um, so I, I want to, at this point, uh, ask you if you'll do another program with me uh, in the near future, where we can get into more of your truth-seeking journeys, as well as your artistic journeys, and then your your healing. Uh, chapters also that are still very much uh, active and talk a lot more in depth about more of those subjects because I think our listeners would be fascinated with what you uh, have been coming up with and creating and also how the, the healing has been helping other people too. That's an interesting area for sure. And um, I know that the listeners would be very much interested in that. So that's another part of, of, of Carol Cannon <laughs> and that I would very much like to explore in an upcoming uh, podcast. Uh, Carol, are you, are you game? Well, now, let me see. Do I really want to talk some more about myself? <laughs> um, it's, it's, you know, it's very kind of you to create an opportunity. I'd be, you know, so honored to feel that anything that I could share would, you know, be of interest or benefit anybody. So certainly by all means, and thank you for bringing all of that up. I, I appreciate that, Nick. Oh, that, that's great. I'm glad you said yes, and we'll, we'll be scheduling that. We'll see what your schedule's like, and we'll do that soon. Um, Hercules, did you have any uh, thoughts uh, uh, that um, no, I'm, I'm really impressed. Uh, I think uh, both of you uh, did a phenomenal job on uh, uh, opening the door for exploration of the Urantia book uh, through your experience. And uh, Nick, I feel the same way about you. Thank you for your kind uh, words. Uh, you're an awesome individual who does uh, many awesome and wondrous things in the world, and I'm I'm honored to know you. Oh, thank, thank you, your dear, dear friend. You both are dear, dear friends. And, you know, that's really the gold of life, too. Uh, I feel incredibly rich um, because of the uh, the friendships and the love that's been flowing uh, nonstop in my life. I mean, uh, when everything else and it can disappear, that is absolute gold that stays with you. And I think that uh, you know exactly where I'm going with this, that that's really what what matters everything else if you have a a hundred thousand dollar car if you have a five hundred thousand dollar apartment or home and three swimming pools and all the rest of that but you know what that can go in a second and in many cases it has but the 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 life relationships that you have that's that's the that's the goal that's the important thing and of course your relationship with the universal father very oh, true. Bravo. Dotto. Ditto. Dotto. <laughs> Ditto. <laughs> yes, so true. I feel exactly the same way, Nick. I may not have, you know, generated, um, you know, any kind of real material wealth in my life, but my, I do believe my friends are my, my treasures. Uh, that makes I sense. Think you're, I think you're, that, you're both are very rich people indeed, very, very rich in all the in, in the in the the real sense of what riches are. I, I really I, I know that's true. And that's that's inspiring to me. That is. Um Carol, uh if I may say to the listeners, if they'd like to contact you or ask you a question, can I give my uh email address and then they could through me get to you? Absolutely, or if they 
you know, want to take a look at any of the websites, but by all means. I posted right. the websites uh, so people can access them from uh, the description of today's uh, show. Nick wrote a wonderful uh, uh, background biography, and he provided me with three links. Uh, they're there, and I asked to friend you on Facebook. Oh, oh that's goodness. great. Fantastic. Thank you so, so they much. Can, they can click on and do that. And, and uh, listeners, please go ahead and take a look, the visuals on the uh, these websites of a beautiful, beautiful uh, art. And um, you, I think you'll be impressed uh, with what the accomplishments that Carol has done and also um, the artists that you represent. Um, uh, Hercules, how much more time do we have? We have about a minute. About a minute. Okay. Well, um, I just want to say, Carol, uh, thank you so much for doing this interview. It was a total pleasure, and um, I knew it was going to be, and certainly it is. I want to wish you all the love in the world, and I want to have you back very, very soon. Um, well, thank you. Thank you. So, please, thank you, you know. both Nick and Hercules. This is really a highlight of my, my week, and um, I'll be eager to you know, get the link to the podcast and uh, share it with my friends and family. So thank you for giving me such a, a wonderful highlight of the day. I hope you wish, wish you all the best. True joy. So this is Nick for your Rancher book, uh, wishing you all an enlightened journey. Till next time, explore the limitless love of your Rancher book. Stay safe and be kind to one another. Goodbye for now. Goodbye, everyone. Take care. Thanks again. And we're going to listen to Evolve by Bone Poets Orchestra. And our next guest will be Phoenix, the Technogrood and the Perceptor Project.
of Olympus. I am Hercules Invictus, and our next segment is the Preceptor Project, whose host is Phoenix the Technodruid. Greetings and welcome, Phoenix. Great to be speaking with you again. How is everything in Utah? Um, well, okay, so the, the situation is crazy, but we're all dealing with it. Um, first off, give a couple of loud and proud shout-outs. Uh, first off, to Navi Brar Incorporated. I'm actually doing this show while I'm doing my day job. So oh, wow. I got coverage. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I've, I've got coverage. And we've got like pretty much half the town of Orem, Utah, that has been inquiring about this all day. So, yeah, yeah. Fantastic. I'm going to be posting a lot of links after, you know, at least posting the same link to a lot of people um, after the show. Um, that is great. Days. The more people know what you're doing, the better. Definitely. Definitely. This is our own version of Pascal's wager. You know, <laughs> um, if we fix if we fix it, then we have nothing to worry about. Uh, you know, uh, will they come back? That's the whole basis behind the Perceptor Project for um, people that are unversed or, you know, like our first timers. Uh, that yeah, that's the whole basis behind the Perceptor Project. It's it's our own version of of Pascal's wager. 
um, if you you know if you've lived a, a happy devoted life, or well, Pascal's wager says if you live a happy devoted life, then you've got nothing. You know you've got you're not losing anything uh, because you're happy. Uh, well, the planet needs to be happy. So yeah, yeah. Um, so 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 basically, I've yeah. seen the perceptual project uh, evolve. Uh, from an idea in your mind uh, to becoming an uh, actuality. And that's always exciting uh, to see. I love the creative process and uh, all that it brings. And uh, the Perceptor Project seems to tie in a lot of your interests and passions uh, uh, under one uh, umbrella. And the concept is great. You know, you find a problem, you fix it. Uh, uh, Very easy to understand and uh, remember. So what type of problems are you focusing on uh, um, currently? I know in the past we've uh, spoken about... uh, um, horticultural type of uh, projects and sustainability. What are you focusing on now? Okay, so yeah, you're going to like where this ties all in together. Okay, so yeah, yeah. I mean, it it has it has been it has been everything pretty much that light that lights the fire on the top of the mountain for me. Um, but, okay, so focusing now. One thing about Utah for uh, people that have not been here. Um, we have a lot of uh, a lot of Latter Day Saints here, and it's kind of funny. In the heart of every Latter Day Saint, or you know, or Mormon, as most people are more more versed with, in the heart of every one of them is a prepper. Um, okay. They have they have they have religious doctrine for um, for canning stuff for putting preserves away, for making jam, you know, it's all, it's, it's like a religiously supported activity out here. And yeah, guys, don't mind the door dinger. Um, okay. It, it, it's a religiously supported activity out here. So when you talk about prepping for, not, not, not from a, not from an, not from an aspect of fear. Uh, when you talk, you talk about you talk about radio to a lot of these guys, which has been uh, which has been the past few episodes of deep dive for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you talk about radio now to get these greenhouses talking to one another, or the or there's that big facility. I think it's down in Hoboken. I'm pretty sure it's down in Hoboken, or um, between Hoboken and Atlantic City. Let's put it that way. That that's okay. 50, 60 miles. <laughs> that's a pretty wide swath. <laughs> But um, you know, uh, it, it's in there. Um, problem is, how can you get uh, how can you get these greenhouses to talk to one another? So uh, now, fo- following what I'm following from the vets that come through my line here, where where I am now, following you know, uh, following from what I've been able to figure out about uh, their technology. Mm-hmm. I've been studying a lot, a lot of digital mobile radio, um, also general mobile radio service and family radio service, GMRS and FRS. Um, and before before the episode closes, let, yeah, let me know when we about when we hit the fifteen minute mark. Okay. Um, before the episode closes, I'm going to actually set you and Nick out on a quest. Um, okay, Nick, Nick isn't with that, us that's tonight. We, but I will I will be speaking to him later and I will uh, convey it. Okay, okay, and I'll I'll do the same too via via Facebook message or something. 
Okay. okay, so yeah, digital mobile radio, um, you or DMR for short. You can, with uh, you, you can for just the the bargain price of the ten dollars and your ham to, and your ham radio test. I think it's ten dollars down here in Orem uh, okay. to take the you know to once you've studied up to take the test, and you get access to this thing called digital mobile radio, which is. You, which is a controllable. Um, I know Hercules. You remember. Uh, you remember the BBS system from way back in the day before we had the internet, when you used to dial up uh, to like do BBS. Yes, I, I remember. Okay, I'm because I'm not sure how many of our listeners will. Um, uh, okay, so and you might also remember something called Internet Relay Chat or IRC for short. Uh huh. Okay, so, um, and also where I said a couple of loud and proud shout-outs, um, here, here's, here's to my radio dudes. Um, Eric, KJ4YZI, over at Ham Radio Concepts, and um, I'm pretty sure I'm going to, uh, pretty sure I'm going to screw up the pronunciation, but um, the dude, uh, and I don't have the dude's call sign record, committed to memory yet, but um, Hoshnasi or Nasi Hoshnasi over at um, uh, Ham Radio Crash Course. Between uh, between these guys and their these two and their guests, tell you what we can say we can we can construct. I've got as in like I've got the blueprints. I'm going to be actually putting together a Perceptor web page probably later on tonight if not in, into the morning and yeah we're going to we're going to mix a little bit of um hopefully a little bit of commerce in with this but um yeah there's a place there's a place to be able to equip people with the things that I'm talking about um with this DMR setup you can use something called advanced packet report or yeah APRS advanced packet reporting service and uh, if anybody, if any of our listeners have a software-defined radio or an SDR, they're these little USB dongles. You pick them up off of Amazon for about 25, 26 bucks. I think I waited and I got mine for 19. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's called an RTL SDR, and I mean people can like cue back and okay, that's what that is. Yeah, it's an RTL SDR. Um, I believe the APRS frequency off the top of my head is 144.31. And if you tune to that frequency, about, I'm pretty sure it's a lot busier on the East Coast, but out here in Utah, you are going to about every 30 seconds get this squawk. You know, kind of like kind of like uh, the middle of the trans, not the handshake, not the dee 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 dee. But all that okay, stuff I, I remember it. those noises. Okay, that that DDDD is the handshake. Is when they're negotiating. Okay, we have a connection. You want to connect? Okay, you can connect. Let's get it. Let's get in time. Okay, and then when it goes through, and you get that noise. Yeah, that's that's the actual. It's called the that's called the payload or the data packet, right? And radio, you don't need the handshake. Um, every, but at the same time, in radio, there's very, very little, if any, error correction. Um, so how will this so, facilitate the communication 
uh, and have uh, greenhouses communicating with one another. Okay, so not only can you send data packets in low frequencies, uh, we're talking 400 megahertz-ish, you can send small data packets between greenhouses using a system. First idea was to use a system called LoRa, L-O-R-A. Okay. And then I thought, okay, uh, why don't we why don't we stop playing with the little kids' toys, and uh, you know, uh, yeah, and and get some real transmission power because I was uh, I was having problems transmitting from my house in Orem to my job in Orem half a mile away. So I I thought, okay, no, we're going we're going big. Um, now with the greenhouses, they're going to have you're going to have a limited amount of packet transmission, right? It's going to say, my temperature is this, my CO2 level inside is this, outside is this, oxygen level is this. Uh, rough color being, uh, looking around because of the color sensor is going to be this. You can code, and here's the kicker. All those images or anything you can compress into an image, like you can have this thing making its own QR codes and reading them, um, and you just send the data out similar to how you would with the with the with the pager system, the text. The, well, yeah, the the old beepers. Mm -hmm. uh, the, those those would work. Every beeper heard every signal that was sent out. But it didn't pay attention unless its individual code was referenced in the be in the opening part of in the in the handshake process of that whole thing. So uh, yeah, you can with an APRS packet send an email which could contain all of the text information. You can with this digital mobile radio post. A, uh, you can send text messages to phones. You know, we could go through it. You know, if we if we were as bubble if we were as bubble gum and bailing wire as the original idea was, yeah, mm -hmm. definitely send it through send it through a phone. But no, we've got these things. If you if you want to even go through the cell phone network, which is not which by the way, is not going to exist in an SHTF situation. Um. You know, stuff hits the fan for our listeners that have never heard that acronym before. Okay. Um, yeah, and in a, in a stuff hits the fan situation, uh, you are not going to have a cell phone network. You will probably probably be struggling to have a power grid. Out here in Utah, that's mm, that would be a huge emergency, but that would be like life-threatening out in New York. Or, wow. I mean... Yeah, you guys, you guys would fare a little bit better in the Palisades, but not much. I mean, what would you do every day without a source of electricity or communication? So, um, where, where one place I'm, that I'm going to put a very definite segue in the Perceptor Project is figuring out, and they actually have teams for this. The government actually has teams for this as well as several community um Outreach action type setups. One one team is called CERT, and I know we were talking about putting together and networking a CERT team last or a couple of CERT teams last time I was out there. But there is yes, also something else. 
there was also something else, another type of team. It's called races, uh, radio amateur communication services, something like that. Basically, a whole bunch of people like me get, you know, if we don't see that, okay, yeah, they're, well, you know, the whole world's ending in front of, you know, if we don't see that, then somebody will come to send the message, take inventory, and give you your first uh, little bit of stuff that you need to transmit. Now, I'm pretty sure everybody remembers the, all the big, huge destruction in Florida just a couple of years ago, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this this uh, KJ4YZI, um, he was actually part of, as, like, wasn't Katrina, it was, oh, yeah, Katrina hit in 2005. It was that big hurricane that they had, uh, Adele or whatever it was, uh, like $3 billion in damage. And, yeah, no, I mean, you're out there. You are literally, uh, you know, boots on the ground out there and and getting all of this stuff, getting all this stuff taken care of. You are the response. You're the nerve center for the response part of your area, I guess. But digital model, Uh, what do we Go ahead. I, I, my uh, limitation in that equation is that uh, um, I haven't studied the things that you've studied, and though as I get to know you and as we communicate and as uh, um, yeah. I learn from our face-to-face encounters and came to, to the um, New York metropolitan area a few times, um, I have an overview of what you're trying to accomplish, but I wouldn't be able to represent it or answer any questions intelligently. That's that's okay. Um, that's okay. Now there, the, yeah, there is there is the deep dive into the science of it, and definitely that should not be neglected. But I mean, for what we do, for what we need to know, and for what we need to know to put together teams. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just like uh, Nick. Nick was saying he has like a whole army of coders and stuff. Uh, those people will yes. appear. Yes, a lot meanwhile, of people do until meanwhile, until they do, um, yeah, I mean, just break it down. You know, I can just break every all the stuff that I'm doing and where it ties in. I can just break down into a you know into much more easily digestible chunks. Um, mm, okay. Yeah, yeah. Now with okay, so the piece that's going to tie all this together for our listeners is going to be. Um, with this digital mobile radio, DMR, you can upload data packets. You can post that four gig or that four megabyte uh, Facebook picture update. Yeah, you might be po- you might be posting it over the phone, over the phone network. Well, no, actually you wouldn't because it'd be the radio network and it would be coming in off the back side of it. So yeah, you don't even have the GSM network, uh, which is. Uh, and I can't. I just had this abbreviation. GSM is our cell phone, guys. Um, yeah, uh, G- and, where, and whereas we were talking about earlier, GSM level four is what we're current is 4G. 5G is GSM level five. Now, without now, there are options with these greenhouses to program them 
so that, I mean, much like we're kind of segued off into here's what the military does. When they when they roll when they roll their Apache attack helicopters, what they call into theater, they well, okay. So while they're flying there, or when they're you know before they're in a, I guess a crappy location, um, they will just be using just the standard broadcast uh, for uh, I want to say for seventy into the lower five hundred megahertz. Now, if we're going to be, if there ever comes a situation, and I would like to build every one of these greenhouse controllers to be able to do this, but um, all of that, all of that, uh, that massive data packet hardware and all that stuff that I'm seeing fly across my desk from rodent floors all pretty much all day every day. So these uh, greenhouses, uh, how big a geographic area would the communication cover? Like, for instance, uh, we tried getting a greenhouse off the ground. We didn't have as much success with it as we did with uh, the uh, indoor uh, house uh, gardening um, or the front uh, lawn uh, gardening. But the greenhouse thing's burned up, so we need to keep working on it until we get uh, better at it. Uh, But uh, let's say it was up and running. Uh, How far... Uh, would the communication between uh, greenhouses extend? Like, would it be uh, within 10 of um, You are looking, okay, so you're looking for a greenhouse that is going to take up a 10 by 20 area uh, okay. for the communications, for the, for the long-range communications. You are looking with no atmospheric propagation. And here's why I'm telling every. And here's why I'm telling every. Building it into the standard and, and telling everybody, don't neglect the lower frequencies, because uh, lower propagation. I believe what they call the 10 meter band. You uh, are looking at roughly 250 miles propagation, all the way. Now, if you're bouncing off the atmosphere, uh, ionospheric mm-hmm. propagation. It's all called. It's all basically called skip propagation or atmospheric skip propagation. Uh, you, I mean, how far, uh, how far have you ever heard of a um, low-frequency ham radio going? Um, I'm, uh, we're getting, we're kind of blocked off by the mountains on both sides here. Okay. But um, I, I get, when I'm turning it on and just with my little handmade antenna that I've got, like, pretty much tied up to stuff on my roof. I'm getting California very uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't dance a beat to it, but I can hear what they're saying on the radio. Okay. I'm uh we're talking NorCal, SoCal. Um I even got somebody calling CQ from Seattle. Which calling CQ is when you pick up the mic and uh, CQ CQ, which means anybody out there if you if you can hear me uh, respond with your call sign. So you can figure you can figure out telemetry data and figure out how far you are away from each other. Now the races teams, um, these des- my, these designs are built off of one of theirs, but the races teams uh, boast 250 miles data capable transmission. So yeah, you're not only you're not only going to be out in the Atlantic, but um, you're going to be further inland. Ah, uh, yeah, no, you, you, I would safely say 250 miles, Herc, you could probably hit Buffalo. 
without wow. blinking. And what would the what would the greenhouses communicate uh, to each other? Um, would they be able to anticipate weather conditions and uh, synchronize uh, actions or um, uh, establishing a network that for the purpose of uh, uh, sustainability with food on the local uh, level, um, what type of information, and again, I'm asking from ignorance, you know, what type of information would go back and forth uh, uh, to make this network worthwhile? Um, okay, so for easy answer to the question is yes and yes. They will be able to do both. Okay. Um, now, you're going to have, you're probably going to have a good page worth of text. I mean, if we do it, if we do it in simplex, what's called simplex mode, uh, you're going to have about a page full of text and like a picture tied to it. And these, these greenhouses would be able to not only predict the weather from a more accurate standpoint, but interface with existing hardware and um, read the data off of that, read the data at, you know, at their own location. Remember I was talking about putting gas sensors and um, oh, Geiger counters in these things too. I okay. mean, that's one, that's, one, that's one bit of eventuality that nobody wants to prepare for, but it would be a good idea to at least, at least know what one needs to know. As far as that goes, and yeah, I mean, um, and they have a whole network of of uh, Geiger counters set up, even. But yeah, uh, you would be you would be a page of text. You would be your environmental conditions, temperature, humidity, uh, gas concentrations in percentage of uh, oxygen. I want to say oxygen, CO2, methane, and nitrogen. Are going to be the four that will you're going to see something go up or something go down if any of those four gases need to are reacting with something, especially methane. Um, you know, methane, yes, I mean, methane comes essentially from no, no, it comes it comes from the universe, but here, uh, here in on Earth, it's produced usually by things. Carbon-based uh, things like trees, like uh, you know, flora, fauna, uh, decay. So I mean, if you got like a, if you got like a methane pocket underneath the ground, it's going to be more vi more. It's going to be better. Or you know, refer refer back to the the that Yogi. It wasn't Yogi Bear. It was Smoky Bear. Uh, only you can prevent faucet fires. That's one of the things when you got faucet fires. And I know. Uh, when I lived in Pennsylvania, fire. in northeastern Pennsylvania, uh, on the Wayne Pike uh, border, um, in the Poconos, uh, there were towns uh, not that far away where uh, their drinking water would uh, uh, catch on fire. So uh, I know that it's no joke, uh, that that's a, an actual reality rather than just a shocking statement. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, it's a very sad, sad reality. Um, I mean, you now, joke about it as, as though we may. I, trust me, I poke fun at the oil industry every time I can. But, yeah, joke about it as we may. It is a real condition. 
Now we're, we're down to the last five minutes or so of the uh, of the uh, episode, um, and uh, uh, just a couple of questions. How can okay. folks who are interested in learning more about Project Perceptor get involved with Project Perceptor? Um, right now, the Facebook front. Uh, now, once I get the web page up, the web page is going to be the primary. Um, but there's also the Facebook page, uh, facebook.com forward slash ROR Receptor Project. Okay, so yeah, last five minutes. Um, okay, so mission is this. Mission is this. You have in that area, and I've already looked, you have like four or five people within handheld range. And I mean, we're talking, we're talking my little hand, my little handheld in low power mode. Like you could walk, I could walk there. And uh, from your house to there, it's in 20 minutes. Um, the stuff is not very far away, um, and you've got it all. You've got all sorts of amateurs in that area. Mission is this: um, get on the FCC website, and any of our listeners who want to do this too, get on the FCC website. Get a GMRS, a General Mobile Radio Service call sign. And then um, either one of those two channels has great radio recommendations. Um, the the one that I'm using now, let's see if I can get it. Somebody typed up while we've got some time left on the phone here. Um, the one that I'm using now is called a Baofeng UV5R Strike House. Your UV5R TV. This is Baofeng UV5R radio. You can program those to where they are like the super duper version, much like the radios at Walmart said that, you know, those bubble pack radios said they were mm-hmm. going to be, but failed. At, now, okay, so with these, with these Baofeng radios uh, and the proper licensure, always get the proper licensure. The FCC does not mess around. Um, I'm finding this out. Uh, get the proper licensure and get yourselves a radio. GMRS ticket does not require any remedial registration. It just requires that you register with the FCC. And for me, about a month ago, that was uh, just about just right at right out seventy bucks. If and you the radio. In uh, PM, uh, the links I will gladly post them in with the description of uh, today's episode, and so folks uh, okay. uh, listening on Facebook can easily access it. Definitely, definitely. And also, uh, well, we got like ten seconds. Oh, okay, so, so yeah, ten seconds. I'm working on a cross-platform video, my own homebrew, cross-platform video, so that when we do this that we can just jump on and record video and just have it prepackaged and ready to go out to, like, YouTube or something. Fantastic. I'm, lo- I'm looking forward to that. As you know, I'm moving in that direction uh, also. So uh, I'm learning from everybody all that uh, they have to teach. And uh, because I'm not as uh, technical as you, the, the learning curve is very steep. But eventually I get there because I, I don't give up, uh, as you know. Yeah. Um, Okay, I'm, I'm very excited that things are moving along. I uh, just want to let you know that this Saturday I'm starting a new cycle of uh, workshops and I will have uh, Olympian Outreach uh, there. So if you have a flyer for Project uh, Perceptor uh, and feel free to list uh, your new show on uh, um, our Olympian podcast so that people can tune in uh, and I will make sure that uh, they're there and that people have access to them. 
you, if you send me a PDF, yeah. I'll make some copies because I know uh, it's like two days away. So uh, thank you so very much, uh, Phoenix. Uh, you're awesome. And I look forward to our next uh, conversation. I wish you great success in all your endeavors. And uh, we will speak again soon. Definitely. Definitely. And to those of us joining us at home, we're going to take a very brief break. We're going to listen to Brand Fedorian's King of Dreams. And then we'll be back with Starfleet Adventures. Today our guests are Tina and Brian from the USS Odyssey, the Chandlers. So take good care, Phoenix. You too. Talk to you soon. Do you ever wake up for no good reason? During the night Sleep filled eyes Scattered mind Dreamy pale light Do you wake up For no good reason You sit up in bed Well, I am the king of dreams. Do you wake up? 
And welcome back to Side of Olympus. Our next segment is Starfleet Adventures, and our guests are Tina and Brian Chandler of the USS Odyssey. Greetings and welcome. Hi there. Hi, Hercules. How is everything out by you? Oh, uh, hot. <laughs> <laughs> um, I must tell you, I very much enjoyed uh, your writing. And uh, it managed to tie together everything we've uh, talked about, uh, disjointed as it was, into a seamless whole. And it's an excellent uh, starting place uh, for our adventures. Uh, have you sent a copy to Thomas? Um, no, I haven't yet. Uh, I thought that was kind of like our assignment from the last show. Was to, I know you asked for a paragraph, but uh, it, it went a little bit longer than that. Oh, what you sent was fine. It was it was excellent, and it uh, it was very well written. It introduced who you guys are, what the situation is, uh, who the players involved were, and uh, uh, what the current circumstances were. So it was a phenomenal. Excellent. Did you guys write this together, or or did one of you write it and the other one, uh, um, you know, kind of edit or fill in details? Uh, I wrote. Brian was the consultant. <laughs> okay. I threw in a few things. I wasn't just a consultant. <laughs> but you did an excellent job, both of you uh, together. Um, so is there any um, Star Trek activity going on in your neck of the woods? Last time there wasn't a lot going on. No, there really um, still isn't. We've just been at the store talking mostly about the Picard and Discovery trailers and speculation on what's going to be going on with those two shows. Now, both look very fascinating. I wasn't sure I would like to. I finally saw Discovery. My wife and I saw it, and now and we've just finished watching Enterprise, the entire five uh, or four seasons. 
uh, and we're looking forward to Picard. Uh, I'm kind of like halfway through Next Generation, so we're making our way through uh, all the uh, Star Trek. Uh, I gave up on trying to keep track of the comic books and the books. There's way too many of them, and um, I can't devote my entire life to Star Trek, much as I love Star Trek. Uh, what do you guys think of the new Discovery uh, trailer? I've seen it also in the new Picard trailer. I it looks like it. it's going to be a phenomenal season. <laughs> Discovery? You first, Brian. Oh. oh, okay. Both of them, actually. Discovery looks like it's going to be really good since they're jumping so far into the future. There's no going to be no real canon issues to deal with. And it's going to be an all, almost an all-new show. It'll still have basis in what they've already done, but it's just going to be a new direction. So. Yeah, just pretty far into the future, too. So they have gone where no Star Trek uh, show has gone before and stayed. Uh, so that's uh, that was pretty interesting. And uh, um, w- one question I had, maybe you can answer I haven't found anybody who can answer for me. Uh, they did a bunch of mini-episodes between the seasons, uh, the yeah, first the and track. second season. Are those mm-hmm. collected anywhere? Because uh, they don't seem to have been on the DVDs for the first and the second season. From first season, they weren't because when they came out with the first season DVD, those haven't even, hadn't even been released yet. Um, I'm not sure if they're going to be a part of the second season DVDs. That doesn't come out until November. So it wouldn't surprise me because some of them kind of tie in directly to season two for Discovery. So... They're running a few new ones now that's supposed to tie in both Discovery and the card show. I think they're going to be doing six of them this time instead of four. One of them, one of the shorts uh, had a golden fleece theme, and that's why it's of interest uh, to me, because that I could definitely tie into what we're doing uh, in terms of a larger uh, Star Trek. Uh, right now I'm wrestling with questions as, uh, such as what relation did the Olympians have with the Q and with other uh, gods uh, in the Star Trek uh, universe. Uh, we're gods and we have a starship, and what's the, problem? what's the problem with that? We need the spaceship to go from point A to point B. Uh, and uh, just uh, kind of immersing myself in the mythos again so I can seamlessly uh, blend them. Um, and I'm really enjoying uh, revisiting uh, Star Trek again. Ah, the old question of what do the gods need with starships? Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> we needed to travel around. Uh, um, so uh, <laughs> basically, I'm going with that approach. And uh, um, just uh, I started uh, making an outline. So now that I have your writing, I could uh, not match it exactly, but I could capture the spirit of it and connect the information. The kids finished their uh, role-playing game in the uh, uh, Preskill Library, which coincided with the summer reading uh, program. Uh, So uh, that I can condense and write into uh, uh, something also that will weave in. uh, And uh, uh, in a private conversation, I'll go over with uh, you guys what happened during the whole adventure so that uh, we could put that in. And thank you for introducing it in your writing as well. Oh, well, thank you. So what do you think of the shows, uh, Tina? Uh, Discovery and and everything Picard. that's going along with it. Oh, Picard. Oh, I can't wait for Picard. I mean, this is going to be very interesting. And I'm seeing on seven and nine is coming back. I want to see what's yes. been going on with her. There's some new characters are are coming in. It's more or less a rogue kind of a thing, a rogue kind of a theme. And 
I'm really interested to see what's going on, what's happened to Annika after uh, Voyager got back. Because in, in the in the um, in the trailers that we've seen, she seems really confused and everything. And I like Riker coming back. Yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> that was hilarious. And, and, um, and Data. Wow. Mhm. Yeah, but that's not Data. It's uh, what is uh, what before? What is his name? Yeah, before. Yes. Be- before. Yeah. So I'm I'm very interested to see where he got a copy of Data's data. I guess we could say it that way, and how he's incorporating himself, how he's growing as a sentient being. Um, this is it. Really looks like it's going to be very, very well written. Um. Trailers sometimes lie, so I, I can't say really too much more until that first episode comes out and see how much Brian complains about it. <laughs> well, you know that's that's, happen. <laughs> that's like me with the Conan films. I'm such a Conan fan that nothing they've done so far, even though as a movie I enjoyed them as movies, but uh, I always ask why couldn't they just pick another barbarian or make one up? They're going to change Conan so much, you know. Uh, so I, I wasn't even happy with the classic Arnold film until like a decade later. Oh wow! This yeah, they were all right in and they were all right in and of themselves, but the books were considerably better. Yes, much much uh, better. Um, there's a lot of uh, Star Trek merchandising going on uh, too, uh, and I know you guys are into games. I picked up uh, everything from like a. Uh, um, a card game that pits everybody from uh, uh, the different shows against each other to a time travel adventure that has uh, all the different time travel gimmicks in all the the entire franchise um, and uh, utilizes them. There's a new uh, role-playing game from Modiphius. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, uh, I've seen that. An amazing amount of stuff out there. Yeah, it's starting to get a little bit more popular again, just because, you know, since they started doing Discovery, and of course now with Picard coming up, and all the comics that they're producing, Trek has kind of become the thing again. Yeah, I hope so. Star Wars has uh, um, earned a very bad uh, rap uh, um, among uh, several segments of uh, fan, and now they seem to delight in attacking it and not giving it a a chance at all. So, uh, uh, you're right, things may swing you know, back and uh, people might focus on uh, Trek again. And Star Trek had a a Marvel Universe type of thing long before Marvel had it uh, with uh, the uh, Next Generation uh, shows. They all took place in the same universe. Characters went back and forth. Uh, there were movies supporting the TV shows, and they, they made for a really good uh, continuity. Uh, there were some flubs and errors, which uh, Star Trek Nick Pickers guys used to love uh, to find and pick on. Uh, but all in all, there was a remarkable consistency in, in that entire universe. For the most part, yeah. That's an argument Brian and I constantly have all the time with the, the as we call it, the, the, the Star Trek universe versus the, as we call it, the Kelvin universe one with J.G. Abrams and everything. I mean, they would not allow Starship to go out into space if they were that freaking fragile. I mean, that really mm-hmm. irritated me. I said, I can't watch this. And, you no, know, even though it seemed to be a good storyline and everything, I'm like, 
okay, I can't do this. I mean, they're bringing advanced technology in, and what is that going to be meaning when the Enterprise uh, D comes around and whatnot? How much more advanced are they going to be? And it just, you you just set my teeth on edge. Every time I've tried to watch any of the movies, I'm Uh like, I can't do this. I really can't. (laughs) So I've been trying. Yeah, I tried to like it too, and uh, they weren't bad. Like the Conan films weren't bad on their on their own. Uh, they mm-hmm. they weren't bad standalones. Uh, the third one was my least uh, favorite. Um, uh, I found the comic books more interesting with the the Kelvin universe. Uh, uh, they collected them in graphic novels, so I, I read the graphic novels. I think I only read one or two issues while it was a comic run. So it was interesting what they did. You know, basically they had uh, Starfleet Academy in books. I think there were four books and uh, a series of comics that were collected into a graphic novel. Uh, then they had before and after the films what happened until the last film. And then they spun a separate series uh, called Boldly Go. And that had like uh, three graphic novels. The third one was uh, kind of like a time travel, dimension travel type of thing. Uh, and uh, then they had uh, them uh, squaring against the uh, um, Green Lantern Corps, which was their major crossover. And then uh, another one called Bo- uh, um Oh, God, I forget what the last one was called. But it was w- with the Klingons. There were a couple with the Klingons. There was one, um, Camera Conflict, I think it was called, that was you know, kind of a Klingon Section 31 thing. Um remember what the other one there was one called Blood Bull Tell, I think. I can't remember the yeah, several Klingon stories. But um Go ahead, I'm sorry. Oh that that's okay. They also even had a crossover with Transformers, the original Transformers. But I think that was the cartoon that did the – it wasn't the Kelvin universe. It was the cartoon. No, I think it wasn't. Was in- but, it was, but you were talking about crossovers, and, you know, that, that was pretty interesting as well. I think I had Klingons in the world, of course. So, um, Boldly Go, actually, I, was very good. I really liked that one. I have to look it up then. And they had Planet of the Apes crossover, too. <laughs> <laughs> that one – that one kind of reminded me a lot of that episode, Private Little War, where they were on the planet and gave the natives the flintlocks and all that. That's kind of the same vibe as the Planet of the Apes one did, only instead of having, you know, these little backwater planets with native humans, it was apes. So, go figure. Yeah, I, I remember the old uh, X-Men crossovers with Next Generation. Uh, they, were, they were, I believe, in... Uh, um, I don't know if it was an Avengers crossover, but I, I seem to remember. And there was another crossover with the League of Superheroes, I think. Yeah, League of the Superheroes. Huh? How was that one? I didn't get a chance to look at that one yet. Different. <laughs> Let's put it okay. that way. It's, <laughs> it's kind of like taking, you know, the track thing that's based in fact and literally throwing it into a comic book. You know, they they have, okay, here's you know, Kirk and crew, their science space and whatnot, and then all of a sudden they're dealing with a lot of people with superpowers. So you can just kind of imagine the, you know, Spock sitting there with a sensor going, I can't understand how all these people can fly, and they're going, well, we just do it all the time. So (laughs) it was just different. (laughs) Do you know what's going to happen to the Kelvin universe? I mean, uh, uh, the fourth uh, installment, uh, that that kind of fizzled uh, out. 
and went uh, nowhere. Uh, do you think they'll ever return to it? Because uh, in the in the comic books, uh, in the graphic novels later, uh, they just started folding it back into the greater Star Trek universe uh, and kind of made it like the mirror universe. You know, it's just another place that exists. Uh, you know, with a different uh, type of uh, continuity. But they already started bringing back the old Kirk and the old Spock and uh, um, kind of not uh, including the uh, the Kelvin one. So um, I don't know what, how that bodes for the that particular part of the franchise. Well, there, there's different things that have kind of been going on with Trek. Since CPS and Viacom and Paramount and all those re-merged again, now Trek is kind of back under one roof, so to speak so that you don't have the the copyright issues because before it was CBS owned the TV rights, Paramount owned the motion picture rights, and they couldn't, to use a Ghostbusters reference, couldn't cross the streams. Well, now that they're back together, they can kind of do that. And the speculation was going that the Kelvin universe was kind of done there for a while because they couldn't get um, Chris Pine to come back because they weren't throwing enough money at him. They were talking to him, staying with George Kirk, so they wanted to get Chris Hemsworth to come back and play George again. And that didn't work out because they didn't want to throw enough money at him. Well, now there's speculation going on that part of that um, thing that Quentin Tarantino had talked about doing, you know, they yeah. put a thing that he wanted to do a Trek movie. And there's speculation going now that that's going to be one of those type of movies that will be R-rated, but it's going to touch on various spots in the Kelvin universe history. They're going to be jumping through time again, but they'll have, you know, here's a, here's a George Kirk moment. Here's a James Kirk moment. Here's a rumor has it at this point, a Jonathan Archer moment. So they can kind of tie all that in and go, okay, here's, you know, track from this angle, but since it's a timeline, we can go back and correct things and roll it back into the mainstream track universe where it's all still there, but it's, the alternate universe thing, kind of like the mirror universe or one of these alternate future timeline things, but they still haven't gotten that quite worked out yet. So the main Kelvin timeline, I think is pretty much a dead animal, but if they can get that going, then they'll just revisit part of it. Make sure all the characters get their little moments and go with it. That sounds exciting. I, I hadn't uh, heard of that, so now I'm now looking forward uh, to Quentin. I was wondering what Quentin Tarantino was going to do, and I had heard that it was rated R uh, as well. Um, so uh, thank you for updating me on that. That sounds very exciting. Has that moved at all? I haven't heard any, uh, like, news. Um, I know, like I I know, Tarant- know Tarantino is still pushing for it, and I guess Paramount's interested, but nobody has officially greenlit it yet. Okay. Yeah, he's probably talking to me about that, and all I get is a headache. <laughs> <laughs> Where would you like uh, Trek uh, to go uh, um, in the future? Like, I I would like to see uh, shows that are uh, different perspective based on some of the alien uh, races. Like, I would love to see a Klingon. Yeah. You know, uh, I think. The... Go, go ahead. ahead. I was going to say, I think the Klingon thing would be good as, like, say, a miniseries or, you know, just a short-run series, but I don't think right, it would right. for, like, six or seven seasons. In one of the books, I think it was The Final Reflection uh, by John, I don't remember John's last name, but um, John, he, Ford. John Ford, yeah. yes, 
he had uh, he had looked at that, and he had a show called Battle Cruiser Vengeance that was kind of yes. like Star Trek over Klingons, and and that sounded mm-hmm. so uh, interesting uh, reading that years ago. That uh, um, I always wondered if uh, they would uh, uh, do something with that at some point. And Majel Barrett at conventions, she used to talk about like different things that never that never happened. So you began to wonder. You know, did they not pan out, or is she just making stuff up to tell the fans? But she talked about like a Luxwana Troy uh, series. Uh, there was going to be like her um, misadventures in diplomacy, and it was kind of going to be a comedy. And uh, I, I don't know. Again, I don't know if that was ever something that was going to happen because I found out later that Majel does that. She'll, you know, she'll just say stuff. Well, Mayfield they, they used to do like Judy Roddenberry used to do. She would come up with a lot of ideas and say, okay, here's these ideas. You think they'll work. If they do, run with it. If they don't, then throw it in a box somewhere where we visit it in 20 years. <laughs> Have you caught Judy Roddenberry's other shows like Andromeda? I remember watching Andromeda, uh, and he had another series that involved some aliens on Earth, which I don't even remember what it's called. I was, I was trying to... Uh, rack my brain so that I could start researching it again. Earth Final Conflict. There, there you go. Earth Final Conflict. Yeah. Now Andromeda was good for about probably a season and a half, close to two seasons, and then due to a combination of backstage politics and some other reasons, that Robert Hewitt Wolf, the guy who actually developed the show, left it, and it kind of I don't want to say took a nosedive, but the two guys that were writing it in, like, seasons four and five had absolutely no clue what a sci-fi show was supposed to be. And there were episodes where you're sitting there watching this going, this makes absolutely no sense. Why am I watching this? I I remember. Yeah, and then there were other episodes that you would get that occasional one that you'd watch and go, hey, this is great. This is what the show should have been all along. And then they would come back the very next week and totally ignore everything that happened and the good episode for the, the silliness. I remember the only thing I liked about season five, I don't really even remember season five all that much other than it was very different from the other four seasons, uh, was that Zeus was in it. I don't know if it was the same mythological Zeus, but Zeus was in it and a, and a centaur too that didn't really look like a classical Greek uh, centaur. That's all I remember about the, that season. Yeah, well, season five was one of those where, you know, here we are on a Chef, we're boldly going where no man has gone before. Hey, that's catchy. Um, you know, we're doing the exploration. We're doing the whole thing, putting the Commonwealth back together. And then all of a sudden we fall through this mystical gateway thing and we're stuck on a planet for an entire season because we don't have the budget to make the show, but we're going to do it anyway. <laughs> so. Yeah, it was very confusing. That season was so confusing. I was like, oh, my Lord. Yeah, it, Brian, it was, was very Brian was funny. He was stomping around the house. <laughs> <laughs> what other sci-fi shows uh, do you uh, like? Uh, really, really like? With me, it's Battlestar Galactica. I like both uh, iterations of Battlestar Galactica. I like pretty much anything sci-fi. I like both versions of Galactica. I like the old Buck Rogers series, as campy as it was. But I remember you know, I like that. the old Buck Rogers series, um, Babylon <laughs> Five. The, B5 was awesome. Start to finish, B5 was awesome. Um, you know, Andromeda, I like. There's basically, if it's sci-fi for the most part, I'll at least give it a shot and watch it. Some of them I like better than others, but, you know, and if, if it's track, that's a gimme. 
Stargate I love too. Uh, I have uh, my Stargate uh, bookshelf. I, have, I, have, I live in a house full of many bookshelves. Uh, Stargate is right opposite where our bed is near the TV. So that's how much I like Stargate. Yeah, Stargate was good. That's more, that's more Tina's thing, though, because she's into the whole Egyptian thing. So. Have you Stargate. Seen Stargate? Do you like Stargate? And I do. I do. I really like Stargate. Um, I like Stargate, Andromeda, B5. B5 was a series that got even better with yeah. each episode, especially at the end. I don't know about you, but I was bawling when they blew up the stations, and I bawled my eyes. You can ask Brian. So, yeah, um, she, she did. I'm kind of like Brian. Yeah, I'm kind of like Brian. I, everything, star, you know, sci-fi related, I'll give it a shot. Star Wars, um, before they did define it. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> star Trek, <laughs> yeah. Um, one that um, I think ran for one season, it was Terra Nova. Uh, that I was never really saw that good. One. Oh, it, it's a interesting one. It's uh, based in the future where the world basically the there's no more resources left on this planet. The the air is going bad. Um, procreation is one person per family. It takes place about this, uh, and and they found a way to go back to the past and micro fractures in the space time continuum, uh, or tachyon, and um, what they're doing is sending people through these micro fractures. And sending them back to the past. I mean, 10,000 years before the last ice stage, that far past. Wow. And um, they're sending these people through. This policeman, whose family is scheduled to, his wife is a um, a doctor. She's scheduled to go with the family. And he goes and gets their daughter from a facility that's keeping these extra children. If you have more, I'm sorry, it was two children. If you have more than two children, you're violating the law. And the child is taken away from you and put in a facility. Well, he rescues this child. He goes to the microfracture at the last possible moment and ends up on the other side. Well, there's no way back. So he's there, and he's set up as one of the officers, the police officers at Terra Nova, and it goes on from there. Um, learning how to adapt to an atmosphere that actually has oxygen in it to live. <laughs> um, with di- yeah, with dinosaurs versus um, um, Malayan predators, um, learning how to just live in the past and and the problems that go along with it. And as they got to the end of the first season, uh, they found out that this next wave that was supposed to be um, uh, immigrants and people coming over was actually the governments of the world getting together, coming back, coming through to Terra Nova, and basically taking it over for the corporations. So the corporations could continue on and basically rape that world as well, rape the world of the past. So I found it on eBay while uh, you were talking about it, and it's like 10 bucks for the first season. So I think I'll be ordering that. <laughs> uh, and they never went past the season two. There's only a season one that I could find here. Yeah, there was only one season. I mean, they set you up for the big thing in the, 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 um, the season – tire and the season will draw you in thing and it's like there's nothing I can say oh my god no <laughs> so yeah that was about the same time as the last space above and beyond the little fell in up too that's oh, the gosh, series. Yes, that's the one. 
it, it's one of those, they build it up, they build it up, they leave it on the cliffhanger where here's your group of, you know, space marines, if you want to call them that. You go through this whole season, you get invested in these characters, the very last episode, they kill one of them, supposedly kill the rest of them as far as the, you know, the core is concerned, but they're not really dead. One of them's falling out of orbit into a decaying orbit that's going to burn up, and it says to be continued, and there was no to be continued. They killed it after one season. I I will have to. Uh, that one's still in the 30s for the most part, so I'll wait a little bit uh, till that gets uh, cheaper, and they'll check to one the two. I forgot to, to mention Babylon 5. I'm a really big Babylon 5 fan. I watch that like once every two years. I'll watch uh, uh, from the, the pilot all the way to the spinoffs uh, that they did. Awesome show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I kept hearing that good too. Uh, I'm sorry? The spinoff was pretty good, too, and that was another one you're like, okay, <laughs> what the hell? Where oh, are we going? Let's stop. Yeah, that one got killed before it really ever aired, but it was getting better. And uh, he was talking, Straczynski was talking about doing a reboot of it, but uh, – uh, I read several articles, and every now and then something will pop up, and nothing's uh, happened so far. I found that very surprising. He wrote almost every single episode himself. You know, that's quite an achievement uh, over five years. Exactly. Well, the thing about Straczynski, though, I guess Warner Brothers technically owns the show, but it's written into his contract where he has, like, final say-so to, you know, not, I don't know if it's cast it, but he has final say-so how the story would go. So uh-huh. if they came along and said, okay, we're going to reboot Babylon 5, but instead of putting it in neutral space, we're going to make it this space station in Earth orbit, and instead of aliens, we're going to have it like Americans and Russians or something, and he can basically tell them, no, we're not doing that. We're doing it my way, or we're not doing it at all. So he's kind of so a like, at that point. Like Xena, they keep talking about the uh, bringing Xena back every now and then, but the rights are complicated, you know, in terms of how they're divided, I guess, like uh, Star uh, Trek was, so nothing ever happens. Uh, but every now and then, there's an article that they're, they're rebooting Xena. Uh, then the thing becomes uh, whether Lucy Lawless is going to reprise her role or whether they're going to have somebody new, and then people argue, <laughs> and then it fades yeah. back into oblivion. Yeah, well, that's kind of the same thing with the tribe, because they were talking about doing, like, you know, a series of movies for a while, and they had actually done a couple of them that were more or less done on a shoestring budget, but the story was great, but the effects were a little lacking, and Straczynski had actually gone on record saying, well, if we're going to do this, we're going to do them with the original characters and the original storylines, and we're not recasting anybody. At that point, there were only a couple of them that had passed away, but yeah, he says, we're not recasting anything, I'll write it into the story, and they came out with this first one, and I guess the DVD sales weren't where Warner Brothers wanted it to be, so they pulled the plug on it right after that. Hmm. Now, I, I'm enjoying talking science fiction shows with you and, and movies, and I was wondering, uh, um, I'm developing some new shows, and uh, some of them are like science fiction uh, based, uh, and one of them I did with uh, Brian Walker. He has a Bryven Straven Theater, uh, the website, uh, which focused on B-movies. So we've done a couple of specials where we focused on, like, uh, Plan 9 from Outer Space or, you know, like a couple of other ones, the Day of the Earth, still. And now we're going to do that on a regular uh, basis. 
would you guys like to talk uh, sci-fi and we could pick a different series uh, each episode and do something on that? And there's like enough material to last uh, for years. <laughs> and you guys are more conversant on this than I am. So is that something that you would be interested in or you would enjoy? Sure, sounds good. Definitely. Give me a little warning so I can go back and watch the show before we talk about it. <laughs> okay, and uh, I will do the same. I have bins of science fiction uh, shows and movies in my basement. So, um, unfortunately, not too long ago I was looking for stuff, so it's no longer in the order that it was in uh, before. So I'll have to do some uh, digging. Um, Stargate, that's like a constant with me. Like I said, I'm up to season four. Uh, with that again, I, I watch that like every year. I love Stargate. Um, so awesome! You want to start with Stargate then? Since sure. You guys like it too? Okay, fantastic. So we'll plan a Stargate uh, special, and uh, we'll, we'll talk about uh, that. And would you guys like to talk about movies too, or just TV shows? Sounds good with I'm movies too. Yeah. Okay, fantastic. I will announce it. Uh, um, tonight, and uh, we will start planning, and within a couple of months, it'll be up and running. And uh, also, uh, I guess we could even start uh, or continue as we've been continuing uh, now, uh, and I'm going to ask both of you, uh, since you're experts at, at sci-fi uh, and aficionados of the, the genre, um, what new things are coming out, both in movies and in television, that you're personally looking forward to? And we'll start with uh, Tina, and then we'll go to Brian. Uh, well, like I said, I'm really looking forward to Picard, and to the annoyance of Brian, I'm definitely looking forward to that. Okay, and coming out. <laughs> I'm sorry, and Discovery said, coming out for the second season or or the next season. So I can't wait for that to see how they're going to do this. Yeah, I'm waiting for that too. I have the first season, and I have. Uh, um, uh, Orville, the first season. I'm waiting for the second season for that uh, as well. I think it's Orville's out. Actually I haven't good. That, that's like next, yeah. Orville's actually like next gen and revisited. <laughs> and how about you, Brian? What are you looking forward to? Uh, believe it or not, I'm actually looking forward to that new Terminator movie that's coming out. It's called Terminator Dark Fate. Okay. They're kind, of go- they're kind of going back to the roots of it, where. This one is actually a direct sequel to Terminator 2 from 91, and they're pretty much ignoring everything that has been done in between and picking up from the end of the movie, you know, 20-some-odd years later with the original characters, original producer, that kind of thing. So I'm kind of curious what direction they're going to go with this one. That's interesting because they do have alternate timelines in, in Terminator to begin with, you know, sometimes in the same movie. So that would be, be something really interesting to watch. We saw uh, the Genesis one, the last one. I think there might have been another one after that. But uh, um, I liked it more than my wife liked it. Um, but uh, it, it was interesting what they did. Yeah, Genesis was all right. It was kind of a alternate version of the original one. Yes. So whereas Dark Fate, I guess, is kind of – kind of ignore all that and just pick up from the end of the second, you know, the original second one and kind of go from there. They actually got Linda Hamilton to kind of come out of retirement. James Cameron's producing again. Arnold Schwarzenegger's being Arnold Schwarzenegger. So, so I'm yeah, kind of I, curious I, how that's going to go. I will definitely watch it. That I know. 
uh, whether on DVD or in the theaters, that remains to be seen. But that, we, I've been following that for so many years. <laughs> we even have the TV show, the two-season TV show they did uh, uh, in, the, in that uh, franchise. So uh, I'm, I'm certainly going to watch whatever they come out with. Yeah, it should be good, hopefully. Well, unfortunately, that's kind of not – well, you guys can watch it all you want to. That's not my cup of tea. I'm sorry. <laughs> when the first one came out, I'm sorry. I tried to go back and watching it, and being a, uh, a coming back mother again, I see the kids get her. I said, okay, I'm done. I'm done. It's like Game <laughs> of Thrones, first one. Forget it. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm like that too. So if I really don't like something, that's that's it. Yeah, just okay. Watch yeah, I'm it, done. Uh, not watching it again. Not watching what comes afterwards. I don't that, care. That's um, the way I am with Firefly. I mean, that's that's kind of an unpopular opinion, but I cannot get into that show. I've tried many times, and I just cannot watch it. My wife liked Firefly. Um, uh, I wasn't uh, as enamored of it. I watched it with her. We had a good time watching because uh, she enjoyed it, but I, I wasn't a very big fan of that show either. And I'm looking at the clock. Yeah. We've, we're, we're running out of time. And before we go, uh, how can people um, enter your world uh, and shop at your comic shop and uh, um, join the USS Odyssey? Uh, well, as far as the store goes, I'm on Facebook. Um, it's facebook.com slash Comics, And I carry comic books, science fiction memorabilia, action figures, a little bit of everything. Um as far as the Odyssey goes, you can go on, again, Facebook and just look up USS Odyssey and you'll find us. And for those on Facebook, I put links uh, to their uh, Facebook pages and to the USS Odyssey, so they're easy to find. Uh, and uh, Tina, um, you are a roller derby queen, and uh, <laughs> we need to get, revisit that in the vocational show uh, soon. And uh, with Brian, we'll let people know how do you start a comic book uh, shop business uh, because that's a, a really cool thing, and a lot of people are you know would be interested in that. Um, anything you with you or anything you'd like to draw attention to? Um, the only. <sighs> If I can go ahead and mention this, we just lost uh, one of our members, and he was—he was our, yeah, he was the person we tech the tech that we're teching and we're trekking the trek that we're trekking. I mean, he could sit there and discuss like uh, temporal distortions, temporal mechanics, and things like that, and you're like going, what? (laughs) (laughs) So um, it's really been hard to kind of write all this stuff without going, hey Jim, you know, hey, can you take a quick look at this? And unfortunately, and he was very popular at uh, the local conventions and conventions at well. He did a really mean redheaded Scotty, I'll tell you that. Really? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Had the action down, had the attitude, had everything, yeah. And I was hoping to get him involved with the store, with with um, with this as well. But unfortunately, um, we found out not, um, when you approached me with this that um, he had he had gotten really sick and had a stroke and unfortunately was not able to do something like this. So um, he would have loved something like this. He'd, he'd talk your ear off for hours. Well, let's dedicate this show to him or the next show. It's up to you. If you send me this information, I'll, I'll write the dedication and we'll dedicate this show or oh. your, your first show in your new uh, series to him. Oh, that'd be great. Uh, thank you so much. 
Oh, my and pleasure. Hi, and hi, Tahaa Athena and your doggy. Hello. <laughs> I I definitely will. Thank you. I enjoyed our talk uh, very much. I wish you guys lived uh, nearer. Uh, but alas, uh, we have the telephone and the podcast, so <laughs> that is a good thing, and Facebook. So uh, thanks again, and uh, boldly go uh, and have great adventures. Thank you, and talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And to all who joined us from home, thanks for being with us on this journey. Uh, until next time, this is all of you wishing you joyous journeys and phenomenal adventures. Olympian blessings to all who have joined us on our adventure. Now, go forth and create a better world, one filled with light and love. On behalf of the pride of Olympus and her crew, may your journeys be joyous.